0: It's made it clear that really we have the best of both worlds. We're we're controlling our costs, but we're not all alone. I mean, it has been really nice through this pandemic to be able to wake up in the morning and have somebody to share a cup of coffee with or to talk about the news.
1: My name is Valerie Navarrete, and welcome to Life Without Us, a podcast that shares stories about living in and nourishing community to inspire more of us to have more us in our lives. On today's episode, we're talking about aging in place, a subject that desperately needs new perspective and transformative change, and we have the perfect guest with whom to explore both of those angles. I first heard about Louise Bardswich and her home in Port Perry, Ontario in the media, I then had the joy of sharing a supper with her and her housemate, Martha Casson and several of my former Clarence Commons housemates in early 2020. Regrettably, I had to miss out on a trip several of them took to visit Louise and Martha and the other so-called Golden Girls of Port Perry a couple of months later. Getting out to see their home remains a future goal, and in the meantime, I was delighted when Louise said yes to being a guest on the podcast. Louise doesn't feel a strong affinity for the title Community Builder. But as you hear us talk about the community she and her housemates built in their quest to maintain independence in their senior years, and the number of connections she's made since then, responding to a growing number of people's interest in their model, you'll understand why I feel the title fits. Our conversation covers a range of topics, including the many ways the pandemic in Canada has been uniquely hard for seniors. It's a subject that is particularly sensitive for me. And so before we get going, I'd like to take a moment to dedicate this episode to some of the seniors in my life. To my beloved aunt, Tiavelia, who we lost to COVID-19 last fall. To my mother-in-law, Monique, whose dementia progressed rapidly before we lost her in the fall as well. And to my incredibly strong and loving parents, Sandy and Wilf. This week and the ones ahead are going to be really hard for my mom and dad and the rest of our family. Thank you to everyone who already has us in your thoughts. And thanks also for those listening right now who I know will wish us well, now that you know we need your support. The Life Without Us pod will be going on hiatus for a few weeks after today's episode. We'll be back on a Tuesday in May with new episodes, we just don't know which one yet. Look for updates on our Instagram and online at Life Without Us pod soon. If you enjoy hearing Louise's story, please share it with your community, and as always, your subscriptions, ratings, and reviews are deeply appreciated. Louise doesn't have any social media handles for you to check out, but if you want to learn more about her and her home, you can check out the website she and her housemates set up at goldengirlsportperry.ca. As always, this and other show references can be found in the show notes. And Louise's and my conversation starts with her giving us all a math lesson about the cost of living solo in your senior years. Let's divide into it. Louise, thank you so much for joining me today. I will get us started with a bit of a look back. For folks listening, if you do a search on the internet of the term Golden Girls Act in Ontario, there will be a whole bunch of media coverage about you and your house. Uh, You were not necessarily the first group of four unrelated adults to buy and renovate a home together in order to live in it communally. However, you were caught up in a unique situation where your municipality tried to block the project from happening over fear of what I'm just going to use the term, the unknown, <laughs> um, that ended up getting settled. And I think what I found interesting in, in, in reading that coverage and seeing how uh, that ended up leading to an act and, you know, all, all that went on with you in your house was that for you, co-buying wasn't actually about trying to create a new model of a, what a family or a household was. Uh, you were trying to find an affordable way to age in place. And I'm just wondering, Louise, if you can share a little bit of the math you were doing back at the time when this all started for you. Uh, and you decided to co-buy a home with three other women in Port Perry, Ontario. Sure, I could do that. What really got me going on this is when my
0: mother moved to a retirement home in Port Perry. She'd been in one up in Sudbury and was relocating to be a bit closer to me. And so I was doing the research on various options and um, went in and, and looked at you know what the costs were. And one of the questions that I asked uh in, in both of the local homes, was can you show me what your rates were for the past five years so that I could see how much they increased annually. And both of them were going up at a rate of 3% a year. Well, I, ha- <laughs> I have a math background, so that immediately got me thinking, and I kind of took the current cost and worked it out to look at it, what it would be at the point where I thought I would need a retirement home. And it became pretty clear that that wasn't going to be in my future. I just didn't have that kind of money. Um, I mean, I guess anybody has the money if you're sure you're going to go in there and die within four years. But I, it wasn't my plan. So if I lived as long as my mother did, I, I certainly couldn't be looking at a retirement home. So that was the first thing. Um, and, uh, and then as I started looking at other alternatives, um, I mean, certainly, you know, I could move in with my kids and they were willing to take me, but <laughs> I'd, I'd rather continue to get along with them. So that was really not a not a great option. I don't think I would want to do that to them. And um, so a friend, Martha uh, Casson and I, were kind of exploring this, both of us at the same time, because we were similar ages and mothers in similar uh, situations. And as we talked it through, um, Became clear that probably our best bet would be to actually share expenses. And as many people as we could share it with, the lower the cost would be. But we, you know, we didn't want to end up in something that was going to feel like a mini retirement home. So, uh, as we kind of worked it out, it looked like four or five, maybe six people max would give you some really, really good cost
1: savings. So that's kind of where it all came from. Thanks for sharing. And uh, have the costs worked out as you imagined? Is it is it feeling like a good plan in that respect? Absolutely. As, as it turned out, we ended up with four in
0: our home. And um, just to give you a, a well, I, I don't mind sharing sort of the details of it, but right now I'm paying uh, 1,300 a month and that's for um, all of the utilities, the taxes, uh, a little bit of money that goes into a contingency fund top to bottom cleaning of the entire house every single week. Doesn't include groceries, that's that's in addition. But 1,300 was actually what it was costing me about five years ago to run my own home, uh, exclusive of, of groceries. And I know that because I ran a business at that point, so I was tracking it. So I know for sure <laughs> that happens to be what it was. So the uh, if we take out the contingency fund, it's probably about 1,100 a month. So it has worked out really well. I'm in a much nicer house than I was five years ago. Uh, I have companionship. Um, I still have equity. And um, yeah, it's costing a, a whole lot less and I don't see it going up rapidly, that's for sure.
1: And, and you've built it to be, you and your um, co-owners have built it to be a place you can stay in for years, right?
0: Yes, we did. Um, we we're very conscious of, of uh, needing to be able to stay You know, until something really catastrophic might happen with our health. So we, we did things like, uh, we put it in an elevator, uh, so that we have access to all three levels easily, um, wider stairways, roll in showers, um, you know, all of those kinds of basic things that you would, you would do for just making a house accessible. So we're trying to plan for the day when one of us might be in a wheelchair or, or for example, we put in, when we chose our flooring, we chose a, a flooring that's practically indestructible. So it looks okay, but you can actually drive a, one of those little motorized scooters across it without doing any damage. Um, so, you know, we thought those kinds of things through. And then we also built in, uh, we, we considered what might happen if somebody needed live-in care. Or for that matter, maybe all of us get to the point where we just want a, a bit more housekeeping and, and want somebody who perhaps lives in the house. So we built um, a suite in the basement that would be quite suitable for some kind of live-in care as well.
1: Those are also great examples of costs that if you had stayed living on your own, you would have all had to bear on your own as well. So Absolutely, yeah.
0: yeah. Well, and, and there's no way I could even contemplate live-in care if I were living on my own. But we know that at the point where that happens, the chances are that two, three, or maybe all four of us will need care at the same time, and so we'll split that cost as
1: well, which you know was going to make it affordable. The ma- the math absolutely makes sense, and um, you know, there's another element, and you know, this is not something that many of us aren't realizing and talking about. It's all over the nu- newspapers, but. You know we're in this period right now with the, the pandemic, where there's literally I, I don't use these words lightly, but you know there's a humanitarian crisis happening in what are called sort of congregate living settings for seniors, long-term care homes, uh, retirement homes. Seniors who are living in their own homes have not necessarily been at risk of those those outbreaks of the coronavirus. But then those who are living solo or even with just one you know a partner have dealt with a lot of isolation uh so I feel like you had your eyes on the need for more options for what it means to live well as a senior long before all this was happening. I'm sure this was never on you know in your imagination or anyone else's this current this current crisis, but but nonetheless, you know, you had your eyes on the need for alternatives. And I'm curious to know if living through this last year and, and seeing that all play out, has it given you any new reflections on what you and your co-owners designed for yourselves?
0: It's, it's made it clearer that really we have the best of both worlds. Where we're controlling our costs. But we're not all alone. It, I mean, it has been really nice through this pandemic to be able to wake up in the morning and have somebody to share a cup of coffee with or to talk about the news and, you know, th- those sorts of things. Or, you know, to get all indignant, we have our our <laughs> our little morning rants about this and that and the other thing. Um, so, so that's been really nice. Um, it, it, and clearly, other people are noticing this as well because we've seen in the last probably four months or so we're getting a lot more inquiries again from from media and from from just people in general, and uh, and that's something that had sort of died out a little bit. Uh, but I think the pandemic has really made people open their eyes in terms of what their alternatives are, and um, yeah, retirement homes are are looking a lot less desirable right now than than they did before, for sure. Well,
1: and I think particularly for folks that are still able to be independent. Um, but also for whom it's important to maintain that independence. And I, I think I've shared with you, I, I think of my own parents who have you know, very particular reasons for needing to stay on their own. Uh, and yeah, the, the isolation of this last year has been really hard. And, and these are folks that have a lot of community around them. They just can't interact with it right now.
0: Yeah. Uh, so. Well, and, and you touched on, a, on the other kind of key thing for me in terms of going into this home, and that was control because when I looked at my mom in, in in the retirement home, it wasn't just the cost. Um, she really liked the retirement home, but frankly, it freaked me right out. It it, it was just, I couldn't imagine myself living there uh, and living in that situation and kind of being told, here are the people you're going to have dinner with and, and you know that, those are the people you're gonna see every day and they may suddenly be shifted around on you and, and having no control over that. Um, So I I wanted more control. And yes, you know, living with three other people, there are compromises to make, absolutely. But if somebody really hates meatloaf, then we don't have meatloaf. It's (laughs) it's as simple as that. Um, Meatloaf's actually one of our favorites, but that's beside the point. Uh, But you, you get that sense of it's around control. It's around being able to make your own decisions. And yes, you compromise, but you know, you compromise in any family. There's always compromise.
1: Absolutely,
0: compromising with another two hundred people and their staff, you
1: know. Right, it's about finding the right scale for you, and um, I imagine something too about the, the depth of relationship and connection that you can have with a smaller group, you know, versus trying to do that in a large, you know, two hundred person setting where there's this administrative kind of backbone that you need to contend with but I mean and you worked in higher education so you know what administrative backbone comes with yes yeah yeah no you you have a very good point there yeah Louise when I reached out to you about doing this podcast and I shared that it was about you know the the value of living in a nourishing community you had to pause before saying yes um For you, a sense of community, as you've shared, has been a bonus, but it wasn't a driving motivator. At the same time, you know, you've talked about the enjoyment that you get from, um, Having people to come home to, and uh, you—you actually—you speak really fondly of folks in your life who have built a lot of community around them. And the example of your sister, I believe, in in Coburg, who bonded with some fellow condo residents after they navigated a uh, bad builder together, was one that I really loved hearing about. And I would also say you're a key connector of those in Ontario uh, who are passionate about alternative housing options for folks of of all stages and and ages in in life. Uh, So you strike me as one of those people who is not in it for community, but you are in fact an incredible builder of community. (laughs) And I wonder how does it make you feel to hear that? I don't know
0: that that's, uh, that's probably more happenstance than anything. Yeah, you know, it, we, I think we we've set up um, a model that works for lots of people, but but that wasn't our sole motivation. That's that's for sure. Um, it, it's just happened to work out that way, and uh, and and but yeah, I, I suppose in some ways we became a little bit evangelical about it, you know, and so it, certainly in the early days we did a lot of talks to community groups and churches and you know Probus and this and that and all over the place and um and so yeah you you do end up sort of becoming <laughs> a little bit of an advocate for the model um maybe it's just to make ourselves feel like we did the right thing I don't know but
1: yeah, yeah. but people are calling and and reaching out so clearly it's it's yeah. resonating I think so I think so it's I mean it's I- not for
0: everybody that's you know that's for sure and 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 we've had people um, some interesting things, you know, people uh, in, in the early days coming up and, and talking at sessions and, and saying, "Well, yes, but you know, I, I just I just can't imagine living in a house where I can't lock my door and have my own toaster and so on in my room." And then we <laughs> said, "Well, you know, then it's not for you, dear. It's just it's just not for you." So yeah, it's 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 been an interesting journey, that's for sure.
1: Do you think as it gets more popular and more people hear about it and, and as we go through this, this absolutely necessary reimagining of, of how people live, uh, in their older years, do you see this becoming for more people? Do you think there's something that'll help more people get over the, the toaster and where it needs to go? And I say that as somebody who had to have long conversations about where I needed the toaster to be when I lived in my co-house. Yeah. Um,
0: Frankly, I, I think the the big change might be the pandemic, um, and and I think with with people seeing what has happened in in uh, long term care, um, I I'm, I'm hoping that people are maybe waking up to the idea that they do need to plan for their age. They they need to plan for for what's going to happen when they get older. And you know, when we talk to uh, to church groups, for example. Um, very often you know people will say well yeah but I'm, I'm living with my husband right now and everything's fine and i don't know why we wouldn't just carry on that way well honey like give your head a shake you, look at the statistics the chances of one of you being alone is huge and and you need to plan that out and and when people people who have difficulty with our model it's usually around the idea of uh, living with strangers because you know we, we were relative strangers who moved in together. I mean, Martha and I were friends, but um, the others, you know we kind of met them all along the way. And that kind of freaks people out, and I can understand that. But then again, if, if you're really looking into your future and don't plan to die young, someday someone's gonna make you live with somebody else. You're going to be in a long-term care home. You're gonna be in a retirement home. You're, you're going to be moved in with your kids, you know, which may not be the ideal situation but you're not going to be alone forever unless you're one of the, I don't know, 2% of really lucky people who, who end up there. I pulled that 2% out of my head, I have no idea, but it's not a lot of people. Um, and and so taking control a little earlier and figuring out who you want to live with and what the rules are going to be and how you're going to deal with things, I, I think is just sensible planning. And maybe, maybe with the pandemic, people will be thinking a bit more in terms of Oh, look what can happen down the road.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I certainly think, and I agree. I don't know if it's two percent or what it is, but those folks that actually can afford with comfort to live on their own uh, yeah. might be reexamining whether that's actually lucky.
0: Right. Well, and you know, even my mom in in the retirement home, and she lived on her own for quite a while before that. Um, one of the things that that uh, bothered me a lot. Uh, not so much w- with respect to her, but as I thought of my own aging, um, I would find myself thinking, oh, God, it's been three days and I haven't been over to see Mom. I guess I better get over there and see her. And I don't want my kids to ever feel that way. I just don't. You know, So being in a situation where they know I have company, they know that if something happens, they will get a call, but you know, they're not going to come over and find me. That I've been lying on the floor for two days, or or whatever, um, that's really important to me. So it, it's it's making life easier for them. Oh, here's another thing I never thought about. Here's the other making it easier on your kids. I'm sure you've heard of books. There was one called uh, "They Left It All to Us," and it's basically a, I think that's the name of it. I think that's the title. You might have to look it up. Uh, and it's basically the story is so my parents died and they, they died and they just left everything behind and now here I am dealing with years of of accumulation of uh, things in their home that they've lived in for the last forty years. Well, going into the the situation I've gone into required serious serious downsizing, and at this stage all my kids have to worry about is kind of what's in my room and you know a few artifacts that I still would lay lay claim to around the house but next to nothing you know which I think is an incredible gift to them and they ought to be really really grateful
1: <laughs> well, I can say I would I would be so <laughs> and and thank you to my mom who regularly tries to purge <laughs> her house of things Um, Louise, thank you so much for taking time to have this conversation with me. It's really valuable. And, uh, I, I hear very strongly that it's, it's a lot about thinking about what matters most to you. And then how do you design, you know, your, your life and your home around that? And, As I said, as much as community isn't the center of why you did this, it it clearly is a big part of of what you have. And I, for one, as I think about what life might look like for me one day um, as a senior woman, I just want to say it's really inspirational and I appreciate how much you've you've paved a path for for others. So thank you.
0: Well, it's been a pleasure, and the invitation's there. Come and visit anytime, Val.
1: I can't wait for this pandemic (laughs) to be over to come see that awesome house that I've heard so much about. (laughs) Thanks for tuning in to Life Without Us. As always, links relevant to today's episode are in the show notes, as is the link to share Louise's story with the community lover in your life. We're going on hiatus for a few weeks, but I promise we'll be back before you can say living in and nourishing community 10 times fast. Or more accurately, on the date that we eventually share online and via our Instagram at Life Without Us Pod. We'll see you then.